Hi there, everyone. I'm Jared. And I'm Zanita. Let's go live. And we're back with another episode of Record Live. Unfortunately, Zanita is not feeling 100% well today, so she won't be joining us. But I do have my good friend, Dr. Daryl Dunn. Daryl, my words are getting tongue-tied. That's the jet lag, Daryl. Um, <laughs> I've just come back from a, a very long flight back from the UK. I did actually meet Daryl in the UK in his home. I got to visit with you on Sabbath, Daryl, and that was really appreciated. Your wife's beautiful cooking there and your delicious salad dressing, Daryl. <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> But it's really great to have you on today. I know it's early in the UK where you're joining us from, and we really appreciate you joining us. But today we're going to talk a little bit about AI, artificial intelligence. Before we talk about AI, let's get to know you a little bit. So tell us, just in a nutshell, who is Daryl Gungadu? Hi, I am originally from the island of Mauritius. My parents have been missionaries since I was three years old. So I've traveled quite a bit from Rodrigues Island to Madagascar to many countries in East and West Africa. And at 17, we moved to southwest michigan in the u.s as my dad wanted to finish his degree in theology and uh, so he did a master's in theology then a phd in missiology and mm. afterwards he went as a missionary to many islands of the south pacific so he was in new caledonia then he moved to fiji he was a union president at that time uh, and then moved back to melbourne australia where mm -hmm. where they retired Meanwhile, I was also at Andrews University studying in electrical engineering and mm -hmm. uh, went as a student missionary to the island of Guam, same time zone as Sydney and Melbourne, uh, but uh, on the Northern Hemisphere, working for Adventist World Radio there. I came back right. to Andrews and finished my degree in electrical engineering and then went on to work for Adventist World Radio in Italy. Then, mm -hmm. it, then moved to the United Kingdom, and as so worked for AWR for twenty two years, and five years ago transitioned to Adventist Review, where they created a new department within Adventist Review called the Media Lab, the Advanced Review Media Lab. Mm -hmm. And my task and my job description, pretty much, is to think about what new technologies might be coming up in the media, in the media world, and to already pr prepare the church for being present on these media platforms. So as you know, early in the 1920s and 30s, the Adventist church was quite a pioneer on radio broadcast with yes. HMS R R Richard in the U.S., with television, with Faithful Today and so on, we were one of the few first broadcasters that covered the whole of the U.S., but we were not really that innovative when it came to online and the internet. Mm -hmm. And now there's a lot more new media platforms coming up that we need to be prepped for, like augmented reality and virtual reality. And that tends to be, or even gaming for that matter. And that mm -hmm. tends to be my portfolio of, uh, of creating content uh, and being... Um, 
at the forefront of the technology in using this material and uh, also engaging with other media entities throughout the church and getting them ready for these uh, platforms. I think it's great to know that the church is investigating, understanding, trying to grapple with this area because it's an area that, as you say, we have always embraced the best way to communicate our special message to the world. And there are new and developing technologies and we can be left behind if we're not careful, if we're not continuing to develop. So that's really cool what you get to do, I think. Artificial intelligence is in that realm. And I've seen that you've written both in The Messenger in the UK and also for Adventist Review, you've written some stories about some of this. Yes, um, and the September issue of the Ministry magazine has a long article as well. Obviously, that gets mainly to pastors. Yes. But uh, I am co-authoring a book, actually, for the BRI. Uh, that's the mm -hmm. Bible Research Institute within the church on the use of new technologies and specifically the, the AI aspects down to uh, for pastors, for church uh, workers, and uh, that should be out early 2024. Great. Well, let's let's just give ourselves a baseline of what is artificial intelligence, because I think that's important when we're talking about things, especially things that people aren't familiar with. What is artificial intelligence? What does it encompass? What is it sure. doing? And, and and let's start the conversation there. Well, the definition actually has uh, is a little bit fluid. It was not the case back in the 50s when it started. It was defined differently than it is today. Uh, but the idea is uh, to, in a way, mimic this obviously software. It's software that runs on regular computers that gives a sense to the user that it's mimicking a human as far as its logic and as far as its thought process. Now, the, the earliest implementations of what AI might be would not be considered AI today. So uh, think of walking to an automatic door that opens up and uh, when a, a person is present there. We would definitely not consider this. We would not put this in the realm of AI today, but it definitely would have been considered that many, many years ago. Back in the yeah. 70s or so, that would be considered AI. Today, we're like, well, it's just an infrared detector of presence, and then it triggers a button and it opens up yeah. a, a door. So yes. this is, in its simplistic way, the robotic definition of what AI is. It is something that replaces a human without a human needing to be present for it to operate. Right. right? So I guess in that example you've given we would have to open the door ourselves once we yes. invented the door. And then you might have someone pressing a button to open the door if it's automatic. But yep. in, in the sense of a sensor, we're replacing humans completely. There's, there's no need for someone to do that. The door opens exactly. wide. So that is the, the simplistic approach of looking right. at what AI might be. And there are, if you want, four ways of looking at that ecosystem. So we talked about the automa automation or the robotic aspect, right? So that is the doing aspect of AI. And then we get into the overall concept of what artificial intelligence is, and we get into machine learning and then deep learning. And these mm. are some of the new terms and new concepts that encompasses what this is all about. And we're moving from a doing, which is that robotic, and the automation mm -hmm. to thinking, 
which is where the deep learning aspect of things reside. And uh, from ability perspective, you can think of possibly some of the latest use that we've seen in the industry, like ChatGPT, for example. So mm. ChatGPT definitely can scare people because it right. really feels like, oh man, it looks like there's a human behind it answering my questions or, or rephrasing my words or writing a, uh, a particular sentence that I've written in Shakespeare prose kind of thing. Right, but right, it right. really is just code. There's not mm -hmm. much more to it than very advanced code that does use, however, an aspect of machine learning to gather a whole bunch of information and kind of sort things through. So ChatGPT, while being the most popular thing uh, that has hit the latest in the industry, and uh, as it's in a way free, especially the, the older versions, it feels like it is, quotes, possessed, right? But it, it is not, and it is not the only tool out there that does things like this. There's these are the most popular ones out in the industry right now. Midjourney and Dali are very popular on the the photo generation yeah. aspects, right? We've um, used we've used Midjourney ourselves at Record. You may have yeah. even seen some people may have even seen some covers that we've put together. If we can't find the right stock image, that's right. Midjourney generates maybe not exactly, but almost exactly what we're looking for. That doesn't exist anywhere else. So it's but very based helpful. on just text prompts. You can yes. basically write a string that says, I want uh, an image of based in the first century of a yes. person fallen down from a horse with a bright light from heaven shining into his eyes, kind of thing. And it'll mm -hmm. generate you an image that looks like possibly Paul on the road to Damascus. And that's yeah. very useful. Uh, that's one of those yes. examples of being very useful. There's a whole lot of extra uh, tools out there. Runway is one, ap one application that is pretty cool where you can film something on your phone and then mm -hmm. submit it to Runway and it turns that video into a cartoonish version of it that is very much AI generated. Synthesia yeah. is another application where you can write a script and it will have a person presenting that script to you, or you can even engage with, in a conversation with a little avatar, a little uh, right. character, cartoon or human looking. But what's important to recognize is that these are just scratching the surface on the AI tools out there. I like to well, categorize them in those different uh, aspects here. So Synthesia is very much a video uh, application. DALI uh, and Midjourney would be image generators. We talked about chat GPT that's more in productivity and it sort of goes on uh, in the line of the writing tools as well. But mm. most people would have known Grammarly. Mm. Grammarly yes. is a tool that auto-corrects your grammar in a very intelligent way. It understands the context of how you're writing things and does it that way. Uh, there's AI tools for sales and marketing. One example would be warmer.ai. There's another tool for automa automating your social media publications. Adcreative.ai is a good one that does that. A design assistant uh, for designing a car or designing a building also. There's a lot of AI involved there. Viscom is a popular one. 
content generation and search level optimization for web design, like Copymatic. So there's quite a lot of content of AIs yeah. out there that helps users. And just to, to show the plethora of applications out there, this shows about uh, 288 of them. Wow. All right. So that can be mind-boggling, but it's pretty much almost on a daily basis. There's some new AI tools that are coming up, and yep. it's up to us to make it useful for our daily use. As let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, Daryl, in terms of the daily use. Before we, before we decide to use AI or, or not, I mm -hmm. guess that's one question. Mm -hmm. How do we understand the ethics of AI? Like, yeah. is this just going to take everyone's jobs or yeah. is it, is it, are there other ethical considerations? Like, is it good? Is it evil? Because as Christians, new things yeah. come out, new mediums, new entertainment. And we're always having that conversation. Is this good? Is this bad? What's the ramifications of yeah. this? So one, one quick analogy that I like to use is the calculator, the mm -hmm. simple calculator. Is it good or is it bad? Well, it's neither good nor bad. It is how we use it. The calculator is very accurate. It will give you exactly what you type, right? Right. However, maybe two generations ago I, at school, they did not have access to calculators. Therefore, they had to do all the mathematics longhand and long divisions and so on. And uh, a lot of effort at schools were in making sure that humans knew how to calculate well longhand. Mm -hmm. When the calculator came along, that migrated from learning how to calculate to learning how to give the right equation to the calculator to calculate. Right. Yeah. So the calculator is neither good nor bad. It is bad if we look at it only purely from the perspective of does the person know how to do long longhand equations or not? Mm -hmm. Or can they resolve this complex mathematical equation on a piece of paper? In that case, it's bad. But right. for the purpose, for the larger picture, for the bigger picture of solving something to be able to, uh, to use the time of the human in a more practical way, it mm -hmm. then is good, right? Then the next analogy that I'd like to suggest is GPSs, your navigational system in your car. You can type a particular address and it'll take you there. But if you don't verify, if you don't have a clue that this is more or less the kind of direction I want to go to, then it can give you a complete different answer simply because there's the same street name in Sydney and in Melbourne and in Perth. So mm -hmm. if you know that you're going 15 minutes down the road and it is, let's say, Harbour View Lane or something like that. Well, there's a Harbour View Lane in Melbourne and there's probably one in Perth and so on. So if you type the wrong state but the right name of the street, you might be in a different state altogether. And uh, so it's important to know how to use it as a tool and not trust your whole life to it. Now, sociologically, and uh, I do feel that in many cases when new technologies come up like this, there are some people that are so excited about the technology that they will trust their whole life to it. And that is wrong. It is important to pretty much make a decision as to, all right, this tool, I'm going to use it for this particular purpose. 
There is a good way of illustrating this in that we've got a percentage of the population, about 16%, who are visionaries. They're typically innovators and early adopters. These mm -hmm. guys, they will jump to using a, a technology before it is even mature. And right. there's a good aspect to this and there's a bad aspect to this. Uh, then you have on the other extreme of the spectrum there, the skeptics. Uh, again, about 16% of them, or the laggards, and they mm -hmm. will wait quite a long time. They'll need to be forced, in a way, to move into using the technology because there's no nothing else available. It's kind of mm -hmm. like people who still like phones with buttons on them, you know, uh, yes. cell phones with buttons on them. Um, it needs to basically be non-existent, not not viable before they will do the migration. You can't have analog television anymore because no. they don't support it. Sort exactly. Of yeah. So with that perspective, both extremes need some help. <laughs> mm -hmm. Naturally, the, the early adopters or the innovators are sometimes over-glorified, but they do need to be there because they are the ones that figure out the kinks in the tool before it becomes uh, used by the majority. So mm -hmm. ChatGPT, as an example, we are at version four of ChatGPT. There was a lot of versions before mm -hmm. that the typical majority did not know that it existed. It was not necessarily a low-hanging fruit at that time. You needed to be a bit of a hacker, a bit of an innovator or early adopter to figure yeah. out that ChatGPT exists and then you'd want to go and start yeah. play with it. And it was very clunky at that time. And people were aware that it was buggy, but they were still, people needed to use it for the bugs to be debugged out of it. Mm -hmm. so, so looking at that perspective, we recognize then that uh, if we use a tool and use it in a way that is outside of the scope of how it was designed, it will be perceived as wrongly used. Jared, you rode in my car last weekend and I happen to have a self-driving Tesla. I've had it for eight years now, and uh, I love it uh, as a car, but the car drives itself. I do know, however, when not to turn on that feature. If I'm driving against with the sun right in my eyes, I recognize that the sun affects also the cameras, the 16 cameras that are on this car, and blurs its vision as well. So I know that if the sun is too bright for my eyes, the cameras are not even as good as my eyes, and therefore I ought not to use the self-driving feature. So it is a matter of recognizing when the tool is right for purpose and not. Right. Right. Lately, in the banking industry, and that's been going on for at least 10 years now, when you want to get yourself a loan or a mortgage of a house, you will invariably speak to a human, yes. but they will go click, 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 click on their keyboard, type a lot of information. Uh, they'll ask you about your salary, your age, your propensity to dying or your health and so on. Yes. Uh, I'm a bit melodramatic here but it asks they ask you all this information they dump it into a computer software the computer software churns and then gives you a yay or nay right mm -hmm. the human is taken out of the equation of making those calculations and it ends up being well an ai tool deciding for you and it feels very inhumane sometimes there might be some exceptions to a certain rule that the code, the software has not taken into account. And mm -hmm. by doing so, you feel marginalized in a way. 
And that is my issue with over-trusting AI. AI is very useful as long as it's used in its framework. It is. It can be dangerous or sometimes even unethical if it's used outside of its scope. Right. So, so by extrapolating on this, um, it is important to recognize then what is being fed to AI for it mm -hmm. to learn. We talked about machine learning uh, briefly earlier, but mm -hmm. it's obviously learning from a script somewhere. It's learning from, uh, it can be supervised or it can be an unsupervised learning. But these are uh, technical jargon as far as what AI or how AI works. But the idea is that if you're feeding AI information that is partial, mm -hmm. you're going to get a very similar response, uh, a partial response. Mm -hmm. One exercise that I like to do with my students is to get them to use ChatGPT to figure out what day of the week is the right day for us Christians to worship. So we, as Seventh-day Adventists, uh, naturally, we worship on the Sabbath day based on the Ten Commandments and so on. But if you were to ask ChatGPT, what day do Christians worship? It'll invariably respond with Sunday is the day of worship for Christians. But then yes. if you say, ChatGPT, tell me, what is the day that Christian worships based on the Bible? And it will still tell you Sunday is the day of worship. But you've got to formulate your question, your query in a very, very specific way by saying, by basing only on biblical scripture and nothing else, what is the day of worship that Christians should worship? And it will then tell you the Sabbath day, which is a Saturday. So mm -hmm. you've got to know how to query that AI to get the right answer. And it is, it's a whole art in knowing how to use those text prompt-based uh, AI tools. Right. And so then I guess extrapolating that further, if society has particular values or things that are not necessarily Christian-based, it will feed those back into everything it does unless it's been given the source material that, you know, explains Yeah, it. its impartiality is very hard to reach, basically. Yes. So if we were to ask ChatGPT or any of these general purpose uh, questions on how old is the Earth? So it is partial, obviously, to an evolutionary timeline yes. rather than yeah, creation that would have happened about yeah, six or 7,000 yeah. years ago. Kind of thing. Yes, because it's using what it's mostly finding, which is well, not majority. I guess I'm saying the majority is not always right. We don't know. Exactly. Um, or the minority, but it's just extrapolating its finding sources and it's just saying, yes. well, this must be the true answer. Let, let's just remember that uh, AI is usually biased simply based on the person who's programmed it or the, the group of people who have programmed it. So that's a good takeaway. Now, the fact that it's biased does not mean that we ought not to use it. We just need to use it. No. Carefully. Oh, every, every source is biased. Every person, every one of us has a bias. Yes. So that's important to recognize. Tell me, let's move to ministry a little bit because you're in that area. You're looking at using AI for the purpose of the church. How can we use AI to further the work of the church, to benefit the world? What are some good positive things that AI can do? Can you share sure. a little bit about what you're learning, what you're understanding, and, and maybe even some examples of how AI has been used in a positive way 
for the church. Absolutely. So there's many areas and I'm going to focus possibly on the most viewable aspect, which is the image generation aspect, right? So mid-journey is one that we talked about a little bit earlier. It would take a lot of effort for us to commission an artist to draw a particular scenario in either in Bible times or whatever we want to illustrate. So, for example, the, the ministry magazine of this month of October depicts uh, Christ crucified with a Roman soldier looking up at, uh, at Christ. Mm -hmm. If the editors of the magazine just got the idea of doing that, the, the time to commission an artist to, to generate a, an image like this would take a while and it's yes. just free on, on mid-journey, right? Yes. So it's a very tempting platform to say, hey, let's go ahead and use this platform to, to, to generate the image. However, AI is not quite perfect at those drawings. So if you do look at the ministry magazines uh, of this month, you'll notice that Christ has four fingers on one hand and eight fingers on the other hand. AI is still not quite perfect at doing fingers well, among other things. So if you mm. ask it to hold, to have a hand holding a fork, you'll see the fork completely distorted and the hand also very unnatural. So these are telltales of AI being used. In mm. now, Does that mean that AI should not be used uh, just because it's got those quirkinesses? Um, I think not. It was a quick way for them to publish something. And same thing with a lot of our magazines. But again, back to the area of carefulness is that uh, because AI is so, because we as humans are so quick as using these tools, it gets to a realm of trust. And this is a sociological dynamic, again, that is important to understand in that uh, people have less trust in images nowadays because AI can generate so many things so quickly. A, a lot of you might have, uh, a lot of our audience here might have seen a picture of the Pope in a puffy white jacket or a picture of Donald Trump being beaten up by police uh, a few weeks ago. All these images were generated by AI and were are not true and yet are circulating online. So, so some users can become more and more skeptic by saying, mm. how can I trust that this image is really true? How can mm -hmm. I trust that this, because the image, the photography looks very realistic uh, yeah. and it takes an expert to decipher that's not a, a photo, that is an AI generated image. So if it is used as a contraband to try to suggest that there was this storyline happening when it was not, then for sure it is a wrong use of AI. Our church, however, can definitely use AI for illustrative pur purposes by having a disclaimer that this is an AI-generated image. So, so having an, an image of a selfie of the children of Israel crossing the Jordan and them looking like they're doing a selfie, that's definitely... Um, we would definitely agree that, well, there were no smartphones back then for them to do selfies or photography equipment yes. for that matter. And yes. it's obvious that it is computer generated. So as it's important when we use AI for some of those aspects to understand that aspect. AI personally helps me tremendously as I am quite dyslexic. So I'm very bad at spelling and I have always been. 
and I know my mom's watching here. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, tools like Grammarly really help you in uh, writing proper text and mm -hmm. uh, writing it with no spelling mistakes and for it to make sense, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one tool that I've been using for quite a long time to help me with my text. There's another tool that I like to use is called pi.ai, pi.ai, where it does not write the script for you, but it helps you succinctly put together an, an idea. Right. Right. And uh, so it, uh, for example, you can say, okay, tomorrow my, or next Sabbath, my sermon is going to be about uh, uh, righteousness by faith. And I need to present this to an audience of uh, uh, 12 to 18 years old. And I need to show how the, how the interpretation of it changed over the years. And uh, so it will give you some suggestions as to, it won't write the script for you, but it will give you some suggestions as to, for that audience, this is the best way of presenting it to them. So right. I do use that tool quite a bit for succinctly coming up with ideas. So is there anything the corporate church is working on or Adventist Review is working on that is sort of that you can share that is exciting for yeah, you? Uh, in, in the world of AI, it might be a bit premature to announce anything grandiose because obviously sure. there's a lot of uh, tweaks uh, with the software, but the, uh, uh, we are toying with the idea of uh, basically dumping all of Ellen White's writing into an engine that can be queryable. Right. right, but at the same time, let's remember that on the on the Ellen White website, it's already queryable. You can search words, right? Yeah. So the concept of searching is not new. We've had this for a while, and it's not AI driven. It is just searching words like a reference to a dictionary. But right. the concept of being able to search for ideologies rather than specific words. That is where AI comes in. So we're working on something around that line, but I can't say much more about it at, at this time. Very cool. So before we finish, we like to take away a practical sort of application for ourselves when we have these conversations. AI is something that's going to impact more of our lives. What's an attitude that we can take with us from this conversation or, or something we can learn to look at AI going forward? How can we interact with AI in a way that's positive, that upholds our Christianity, but also is a benefit to the world and to others. I guess that's where it'd be a good place to leave today's conversation. I'm sure there's more we could talk about, but yeah, Absolutely. we're limited with time. So. so AI for our church is a great tool in accelerating deployment of content. Okay, mm -hmm. as a tool, not as an end in of itself. So optimizing your calendar or finding a way that AI can generate a very quick website for your church, those are mm -hmm. tools that we can definitely use and, uh, and implement. But um, having AI replace your pastor I definitely don't think so. And I don't think that 10, 15, 100 years from now, if Christ hasn't returned yet, we ought to even go that way. Having I as a virtual companion, it's a gray area, right? The Japanese with the Tamagoshis way back 20 some years ago 
tried that and it was entertaining for some people, but it does not replace human touch and human connection. And mm -hmm. probably my parting words would be, as we get into a world where more and more of interaction will be AI-based, so you want to go to your bank and do a transfer or a transaction or open an account, and you'll be speaking to a robot rather than a human, Obviously, for them, it makes econo economical sense to deploy software rather than hiring people with all the human resources mm -hmm. implications. Let us, as our church, identify ourselves as with the, the term organic, uh, non-AI modified kind of thing. Our church is real human connections. You, mm -hmm. um, if we were to replace, let's say, for example, our deacons uh, or our greeters with a robot at the entrance of a church, and I've seen churches do that, by the way, it might be a novel idea, but our, us as humans are created by God to have human connections. Mm -hmm. And let us never forget that and let us fo focus on offering that. It will become a premium in the world in the next few uh, decades uh, to offer human touch or human connection. Yes. So let's, let us maximize on that would be my suggestion. Yeah. And, and I guess the benefit is if we can become more productive, more quickly using AI, we have more time to spend with each other. We have more exactly. time. Although the world keeps getting busier and busier and our lives keep um, speeding up. So that's something to take away. I think, as you've said, human connection is important. And can we slow down and connect with people in a real world sense? Human connection is still going to be important. I think, that's, I think that's a great place to leave our conversation today. Thank you for introducing us to the world of AI, some of the possibilities that are out there. I'm sure this for those yeah, interested ahead. in learning a little bit more or diving deeply into the ethics and the, maybe the sociological dynamics of AI, a book that I'd recommend you uh, or the audience would be The Robot Will See You Now. And it is Artificial Intelligence and the Christian Faith. So it's very mm -hmm. much a Christian uh, perspective of how AI can forge forward. It's a very well-written book and very relevant to today's uh, society and how to shape our churches at the grassroots level. Perfect. And we just had a comment as well. Daryl, AI can be a very useful tool, especially for streamlining tasks that don't necessarily involve creativity exactly. in a creative yeah. scope. It's good for brainstorming. doesn't match human creativity when it comes to tasks like writing or designing. We need to learn how to use AI because it's reshaping our work. It's not necessarily coming for our jobs, but definitely for our job descriptions. So that's an interesting feedback. So we've got to realize that AI will change how the job market will look like in the next uh, few years, uh, just like cars changed. You know, people who would take care of horses are much less employed now than car mechanics. So yeah. Uh, job migration will happen. We need to recognize that. We just need to be, as humans, nimble to be able to adapt to those areas. But possibly from a technological perspective, we can categorize AI into capabilities and function. 
And with capabilities, mm -hmm. there are three areas. So the artificial narrow intelligence. So this is you speaking to Siri or Cortana or Alexa, those kinds of uh, applications. Mm -hmm. It does not store any memory. It basically ac uh, activates based on a lookup table. Then there's the artificial general intelligence. This is sort of where we're at. We're, we're just migrating to that mm -hmm. now. So that requires a lot of CPU power, a lot of computing power to do that. And... Uh, that will get to a level similar to what uh, a regular human could interact, or the interaction would seem to be talking to a regular human on the other end. And mm -hmm. then we get to artificial superintelligence, where it's an artificial consciousness that the machine would have. I still mm -hmm. don't believe that we would even get to a point where, where consciousness can be created by human this is really a realm of, uh, but we can definitely emulate it, right? So that's the, that's where often AI is portrayed as this solution to everything. But when we actually see the rubber on the road or see its implementation, there's a lot of aspects that it still cannot do as well as humans as the comment that we just saw. Then, so that's from a capability perspective, then we can organize it from a functional perspective. So from a functional perspective, we see reactive AI, which is very simple uh, as to if this, then it'll do that. Kind of like opening the door for an automated door um, system. Then we see the limited memory uh, AI aspects. So this is what is running my car. So it will drive on the road, but it's limited as what it can do. It's very specific. It's very good at what it does. And it can do it for years on end but it's very limited. And then there's the theory of mind, which comes to the aspect where it almost has a personality and then the self-awareness. Those last two aspects, I believe it will, it depends a lot on how we define what we would tick as, yes, it is self-aware. In a way, Grammarly is self-aware, right? But as we use it often enough, we feel, okay, we understand that it's just code that is reading my text. It is not possessed or anything. It is just code. So as we, as we perceive it that way, we can use it, as we said earlier, in the framework of what it's designed to do. Uh, humanists, who obviously don't believe in uh, the presence of a god or a creator or so, have this have this ideology that the earth is not sustainable anymore we need to start looking at other planets and we need to create uh, we need to create immortality in a way so the concept of immortality that humanists are suggesting is that down the road and this is way outside of the ai scope here um is that we would be able to download our memories into a computer and therefore live eternally as software in a computer. Well, the Bible tells us about a different concept of et eternity, right? And does promise us eternal life in a very different way without a computer doing that, with accepting Christ as our personal savior and, and living with him in heaven in a very organic form. What I found is that going through the story of creation and reading through the Bible, Satan has always presented a counterfeit to a lot of things. 
in uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, the counterfeits of uh, the eternal life was already presented there. The counterfeit to what the definition of a family is being prevalent in our society today. The counterfeit of the Sabbath is also being presented, right, and has taken the majority now. So AI or or computers can be used in a way as a counterfeit to eternal life uh, from mm -hmm. a humanist perspective, but it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that computers are good or bad. Uh, how we use it is how um, is the proof of the pudding. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's a really interesting thing that I think we may have to explore another day, Daryl, the concept that humans are looking to technology for salvation in some yes. senses is what you're saying, rather than actually the God that created us and, and right. the relationship we can have with him. So in the humanist terms, we talk about the singularity moment, and it's predicted to be around 2045, possibly, where we would be able to download our minds into a computer. Yes, that calls for another conversation altogether on that <laughs> topic. I am more worried about that than I'm worried about AI. Uh, mm. to tell you the truth, and, and educating our members to know how to deal with the singularity cool. moment. Wow. Well, we've given some food for thought today. Daryl, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you getting up early and sharing some of your expertise and some of your, your interest with us. It was a pleasure doing this. The South Pacific Division is my home division, so I'll wake up at any time to chat with you, Jared, and to the record family. Oh, thanks a lot, Daryl. All right, everybody, we will see you again next time on Record Live. Until then, God bless, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. This is an Adventist Media Podcast.